0: philosophers philosophers so david you have taken the liberty of choosing our topic this week or i have granted the liberty for you to choose the topic this week and uh what have you given for us to discuss today well i'm not sure if we can make a full hour out of this but if we can't then it will live up to the topic (laughs) which is the philosophy of doing things good enough so what got me thinking about this recently is uh somebody sent me uh, a blog post um about or rather written by somebody who moved from a western society i can't recall which one i think the uk uh to china um and was surprised by uh a a particular aspect of their culture um which is uh it's captured in a in a word that is said often uh called shibodo which means almost but it can also mean like good enough or close enough so you know if you like if you have uh, an employee who is Chinese, native Chinese, and say, "I need you to write this document and format it, you know, with this this amount of margin and have things aligned this way, so forth, etc." And uh, and they give you your document back, and a couple of things are aligned the way you said, but some things aren't, and you say, "Hey, well, th- this thing isn't lined up." Shabudoe. It's good enough, right? Almost. <laughs> and they just don't care and you can you can see the manifestation of this i'm certain that you have bought some electronic consumer devices from china certainly and you'll you might notice in the uh in the manuals that they use inconsistent font sizes for things from place to place and it's not because they aren't professional it's that they don't think that anyone cares they may not be wrong. <laughs> well, right. Well, and by the time you get around to finishing the manual and getting your thing working, you don't care either. You're throwing those instructions in the trash probably. Right. Um, And you're done. Um, but it doesn't make for exactly mm, prestigious, you know, it it doesn't have the look of quality about it. Um, Now, of course, having things look like they have quality is not the same as them actually having quality. But, I'm, you know, I don't know. I It bothers me. You know, I actually have a personal anecdote that probably will bother you as well. Um I'm certain it will, because I think I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. Right. Well, um, my father owns a, well, he's a partner in owning a contracting firm, uh, construction contracting, okay? Another area in which, you know, I think this term could apply. Um, especially for anyone who's ever hired a contractor. Um, and my, don't me wrong. My dad is a professional and he does really good work. He's been doing this job for 40 plus years. He's really good at what he does. And every, and a lot of his customers are all just ecstatic about the work that they do. But when I was, uh, and I worked for him when I was, uh, before I was old enough to go work for someone else, you know, um, so it's anywhere from like 14 and on. And I went to work with him even before then, but I wasn't doing anything meaningful. But around 14 or so, I actually started contributing in some way to the work he was doing. And he would always look at something being done. And he was a real stickler for things being done a certain way. But he would always say, hey, I need you to go in here and do X. It doesn't have to be perfect, but do it like this. But he would always preface everything that he does, but it doesn't have to be perfect. And it's a similar thing. And, and I think what the, after working for him for years, I finally started to get what he meant. Um, there are a lot of things that don't have to be perfect because A, because no one cares. You know, uh, most people don't really care what this, what, what's in the gap between their walls is, you know what I mean? Um and I've right, but they care about what the walls look like exactly, and and my dad being a painter specifically, that's kind of contractor was that's what everyone looks at, so that needed to be perfect, but everything else didn't need to be perfect. Or and a good example is if you've ever seen a textured wall, like the walls in this room are textured, right? I think it's Gosh. called orange. Well, I mean it's very common practice to reduce noise, but um, they're orange peel textured, okay. You can see if you've been trained exactly where this wall's been patched before, mm-hmm. because they don't texture it again when they're done, or it's a different. It, you just can't duplicate the same type of texturing twice without. No, it's it's thing. like when you need to repaint a car, you have to repaint the whole thing, or you can tell exactly where it's been repainted exactly. Um. More importantly, though, uh, I've witnessed people on construction sites. You know, the the walls framed up, and they're laying sheetrock along the walls. And there are gaps in the sheetrock where things are going to go. Well, if you got some just a little piece of trash, something like that, like a, especially electricians are notorious for doing this. They'll have like some garbage pieces of plastic that came off of a housing. They're going to put on. They just shove it down inside the wall. No one cares. No one's ever going to see it because if you're seeing that, you've probably got a bigger problem and you won't care about this one. Um, now, is that the most professional way to do things? Nope. But the person who buys the house when they walk in for the first time and they look around it, they're not going to see any of that or until they put a hole in their wall sure which might never happen there you go and if they do they're probably going to pace another contractor who's done the same thing and isn't going to say anything about it you know but that's i guess that's a personal anecdote about where i've seen something similar uh that's the first one and i think the second one is the one you, you you're very well aware of having a background as an engineer we we love the concept of good enough because we exist in the real world you know and where nothing is perfect you can lay a mathematical model of what a plumbing system should look like or an electrical circuit should work like but you'll never achieve that right it's impossible it's impossible to achieve something with that level of perfect precision so instead we determine different levels of good enough (laughs) um oh i need this circuit to output x voltage um with this very this amount of variation okay I'm close enough. 5% degree of error. That's fine. So, I think I think I can tell a distinguishing characteristic between like the the proper engineering good enough and this casual cultural good enough. Okay? In engineering, we can clearly define good enough. So, like if we if I have uh an integrated circuit that has uh, you know, a, a voltage rating, let's call it 5 because it's easy. Um you know, obviously getting a real uh you know honest to goodness five volt power supply is almost impossible. And if you scrutinize it is impossible. Um so obviously we can't we can't do that. So, but if we get five point zero 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 one volts, it's not going to destroy the component. So we can clearly define good enough as, does it destroy the component? No, good enough. Right. Well, and additionally, I mean, to be totally honest with you, the barrel plug. Okay. Yep. The common barrel plug can support anywhere from 5 to 24 or even 48 volts. I was going to say, you can get real high, yeah. You're real high with that. I don't know about you, but I've purchased things, and you, and a lot of people, at least people like me... I have a ton of power adapters that fit to the wall that come out into a barrel plug, and they're all something. the same barrel plug <laughs> they're all the same barrel plug, but they're very different voltage ratings, yes, and there have been many a time when I had a nine I needed a nine volt barrel plug, but I had a twelve, and I was like, Good enough, and it still works because but it, but it's so it's it's wrong. you're not supposed to do that, but people do it. Another common one in that ballpark for people who have phones. Hey, I have a micro USB port on my phone. I'm going to plug it into this power adapter. Uh, my dude, that's a 1 amp power adapter. Yeah, good enough. Okay, what about the 2.1 amp one that comes out of your car? It's going to charge my battery faster. That's true. Your phone will get really hot, but good enough. It doesn't destroy my phone. What about the 9 volt one? 9 volt 5 amp one that some of these superchargers come with? Your phone's not rated for that. Well, if it blows up, not my problem. I'll sue. You know, and we just... I think that's the American version of good enough, is I'm going to keep going until I can sue somebody. <laughs> um, but I get what you're saying. So what's the difference between the cultural version, then? So the thing with the... With the cultural version, I think, is, like, a... A satisfaction with having not even met the requirements. For instance, with my, my document example. It's Like, I I told you to format it in this way and you literally didn't <laughs> so you're prob- is that really good enough well i think it ultimately comes down to who is determined who who gets to determine what is good enough right you know um and i i think i can i think i can appreciate that there there is something a little bit weird about western society's obsession with pristine documents um in particular so like like for instance w- when when we have like really important documents like founding documents for an organization if you saw like pen scratches and highlighter marks on it you would think that was very unprofessional and this can't possibly be the original the chinese don't care about that you will find official like founding documents of stuff or like really important government stuff with just like scratch work on it and it's the it is the official document yeah well and the other thing too is like um i think i i think i know why it is that way um i think it has a lot to do with the western fascination with legalism um the 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 home of documentation and prestigious documentation like if you've ever seen anything that comes out of for example the united states or any state court or assembly that or congress that issues official documentation There's a book on how to write those documents and format them a certain way. And some of the formatting decisions are bonkers. Like, they are very fringe to the average person. Like, for example, double spacing. If you see, you can tell when it's actual law, a lot of times, if it's double spaced. If you're looking at it single spaced, it's not the law. It's not the actual law anyway. But if you see PDFs of like what comes out of the United States Congress, it's all double spaced. They have like two inch margins on everything. You can only fit like 150 words on a page. And it's no wonder that these document stacks are huge, you know? And they're in a very they're in the same font consistently all the way through. It's always emboldened for some reason, you know. And there's this whole thing. And I think a part of that ultimately has to do with how we perceive officialness as compared to how maybe the chinese culture sees officialness you know uh, a good example i would think is looking in the united states at pen testers like physical pen testers um if you try to walk into an area that is restricted access in just plain everyday clothes with disheveled hair you're probably going to be stopped. But if you wear a suit... And more important... Nobody questions what you're up to if you wear a suit and you look like you know where you're going. Yep. And especially if you have some type of ID badge. Even if it just says, you know, you know, female body inspector on it or something garbage like that. It's laminated. Lamination, that's another one around here. If it's not laminated, it's not legit, you know. Right. (laughs) Um, But it all has to do with perception. You know, we um in the west have a fascination with looking the part in addition to and that i think is an extension of that professionalism or officialness you know and it's not been till very very recently that a lot of corporate environments you don't actually have to wear a full-blown suit anymore you can get away with a collared shirt and non-blue jeans you know just Pants that aren't blue jeans, whether they be chinos, slacks, whatever, you know. I, but I don't know, I don't know enough about Chinese culture to know if you have to look official when you're doing things in the same way or how that goes. I just know that that's something I've observed in not just the United States, but in the West, is you have to dress the part, you know. Or yeah, there are obviously times when you have to dress the part in Chinese culture because, I mean, you see uh government officials in uniforms so they they obviously have some concept of that but yeah i don't know how that extends into the professional world at all um hmm well i think another thing too is that in china the professional world um or the market world so we're talking about companies not governments companies already get so many different exemptions from individuals in china like special economic zones and stuff like that where they're allowed to just do their own thing and in a way they're already so apart from (laughs) the rest of the culture you know and you might be able to chalk this up to maybe the great leap forward You know a just a very rapid industrialization where you know like and that a comparison would be like in the united states the position of a lawyer or an attorney or a barrister which is they're originally known as that's an that's a position that's existed for a long time and it stems from a social class of wealth traditionally you know barristers typically in in the uk or in london or in england at the time sorry um you almost had to be a lord to be a barrister you were the only person that could afford that kind of education and it was usually seen as a way to extend yeah and you were the only one that usually cared so you were used to wearing the wigs it was a part of your symbol of social status and this that and the other so you would wear a wig a robe and all that stuff and even judges today in the united states still wear black robes for some reason you know, it's it contributes absolutely nothing to their ability to interpret the law, but they still wear them. You know, uh, I feel like China, having gone through the Great Leap Forward and being communist in nature, you know, it's trying to eliminate the class distinctions. And so to have positions outside the military or the government that held any kind of special symbolism to it that symbolism would have been sought out and destroyed same way in I'm much more familiar with you know Soviet communism than I am with Chinese communism but in Soviet communism the only people that ever wore uniforms were state officials you know the state was the only thing that was unique but besides that everyone else was just a person you know, and they went to great lengths to destroy any type of symbolism that grew out of any kind of class or grew to divide people into any meaningful cluster. Um, all the way down to religious symbolism. You know, there was a great purging of, you know, crosses, you know, Eastern Orthodox crosses, and uh, every you know, Jewish stars of David and stuff like that. Like they went to great lengths to remove culturally significant symbols that weren't the state you know and i feel like maybe there was something similar in china where you know we don't wear suits to work because that's a symbol of a higher class but because you're in this special economic zone you're already breaking those rules and so there's no traditional foundation for those things like there is in the west but that's just my thought on it just with my very limited knowledge of what of both chinese culture and chinese communism and how it affected chinese culture like i know nothing of what chinese culture was like before communism or before the modern day you know i have no context on its history so but that would be my guess just looking at some of the more obvious cultural differences you know one coming from a more liberal english common law sense and then looking at one that had probably a. Uh, I don't know how to broadly group it but essentially an eastern doctrine similar to you know confucianism or something like that where you i know that in, in ancient china they did have very strong cultural markers for the different classes but having gone through a chinese uh, having gone through a communist revolution all of that was destroyed you know and uh was actively repelled i would think right um but that's just maybe how we would talk about how it came to be this difference um as far as my issues with the good enough you know way of thinking or culture itself i'm not sure you know like uh do you have any issues with the culture of being good enough itself like if you were to pull it out of its context of just being something that's as of why it came about, you know, if you just look at the philosophy itself, what are your thoughts on just the raw philosophy of setting? I I think, I think the raw philosophy is what upsets me the most. Like the, the (laughs) like, because when you put it in a context of how it might've developed, then I might feel a little bit softer about it because then it's explained. But on its own, I think is what, like, I don't know. I find it, I find it difficult to, to, um, I don't know. Like it to me it's like soft apathy. I don't care that I didn't do it right. I did it almost. So just to clarify is the culture that it's almost better to be this way than to be perfect or is it just say No, tolerance? I don't think that, I don't think that like I don't think anyone would go out of their way to do things almost the right way but not quite. I don't think anyone Uh, says that um i think it's that you know putting forth some effort and then when you when you look at it and you're like "Eh." even if you haven't met your specification i think another factor that might contribute this is just me guessing based on what i know about chinese culture um, and this may apply more to eastern culture in general not specifically china but inclusive of China has to do with the difference in the Western and Eastern philosophies on fundamental people units. So uh, in the West, there is a a greater emphasis placed on the individual than there is in Eastern culture. In in the Eastern cultures, it's a lot more common for there to be uh, an emphasis on a group. Now i would say there's probably variation in the group size and the group level between individual cultures but in general it's more group focused and oriented and there's an interesting anecdote that i think i mentioned before when it comes down to looking at um esports something that i actually do follow um esports have the luxury of being international a lot easier than other common physical sports with the exception of soccer or football but even then, football is not as prominent in the East as it is in the Western hemispheres, um, in the Western hemisphere and in Europe. So, it, well, while it's played there, I'm not you know it mainly moved with the British Empire. That's kind of what spread that around. But well, it's a British game. It's a British game. But, uh, soccer proper, anyway, because that's where the word soccer comes from, right? It's from British slang. Okay. Yep. Um, but esports. Are different um they're team sports that a lot of which were both created and are upheld by a much more culturally diverse group of people um and anyone who follows esports knows that you don't mess with the koreans like they tend to turn out the best esports players per capita for almost any game but specifically for team games, they turn out way more successful teams than any other country. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure, and you know, China cranks out some really good teams too. But Korea, I would say, has the advantage just from being more involved in that community, and they have more of a culture around sport, you know, esports than China does at the, at this time. But I wouldn't be surprised to see China come up and into that as well, just because as they're beginning to adopt more and more. But one of the main reasons that it's talked about that they are so much better at team-based games than Westerners are comes down to very interesting fundamental differences in language structure, which has been informed from the culture itself. You know, the, the culture influences the language and vice versa. And it's the efficiency of their ability to communicate for group, for group coordination is a lot better than English or yep. Spanish or any Latin language. Right, uh, their their language is constructed in such a way that referring to things from an external perspective from an individual is just is just common. And when you're playing a when you're trying to achieve a goal as a group, it's very beneficial to be able to provide context for other people outside of yourself. You know, in, in, in the West and a lot of Latin languages or you know, Eastern lang- western languages, sorry, um, there's a bunch of hidden assumptions being made about what we say. Like, anytime I say anything about an experience, it's automatically assumed it was my experience. And that's just how we do things, you know. Hey, did you know that there was a guy who did blank? Okay. Just by me having said that to you, you know that I either witnessed it or I'm I'm telling you what I've learned about it, not what the facts are of that thing. I don't have a clean way of saying the same thing twice without significantly modifying the sentence to tell you whether I personally experienced it, I experienced it from someone who experienced it directly, or I'm reading of a third hand account. We don't we have to use more words to say that. Whereas in their language, they can just, it, in the same way that we can change tense, they can just change the tense of a word to communicate how they're witnessing something or how they came into, you know, knowledge of an event. And and, and uh, so that long tangent, you know, when we look at that in the uh, culture of, you know, being good enough, I think it's a lot safer to say for an individual in a culture like that, that if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for everybody. You know, if, if I can read it and I can get what I need from it, anyone who has a similar perspective to me will get what they need from it. I don't need to take special consideration or be extra precise for another point of view. Whereas in the West, we have to write things and, when you look at especially our legal documentation, we go out of our way to use very specific words. We use very specific phrasings and grammar to communicate for the benefit of a third-party reader, not an individual's perspective. And no assumptions can be made. And I think maybe there, there's something to that as well. Whereas no individual in the way – like I could not create something and say it's good enough because without testing it with other people. Like I have to go out and get approval from others because I'm not able to make the same assumptions because we are not as culturally homogenous in the West as in the East. I think maybe that might contribute to it some. I don't know what you think about that, but if that makes it feel any better for you, I don't know. No. No. Uh. <laughs> uh, no. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm familiar with that, that that fact that that the homogeneity of their of their culture is is stronger, and I don't know, like I think really what that like the the thing that is similar to to what I was talking about boils down to they're different, <laughs> which yes, but. That's kind of what we're what we're talking about. Uh, well, I guess we're not necessarily talking about the fact that Eastern cultures are different, but rather the the root topic is the the idea of. Actually, here here's a place where we can take it because we're kind of we're kind of running on. Or it seems to me we're running on fumes for for Chinese culture specifically. So that being said, really it's the it's the idea of like. Well, it, it does it does come I've already said this, apathy although not like total apathy, but the complacency, I think. Of being okay with things not being okay. Hmm. Being okay with things not being okay. Huh. Well, I mean, okay, what cultural circumstances leads to someone being that way? And what cultural circumstances tend to lead to someone not being okay with something not being okay? That's a difficult question to answer. It is, Um, and I'm not sure that there is any scientific answer or any, you know... Maybe not not that I have access to, anyway. Sure. Um, but your opinion, you know, this sure, you know, we're we're the philosophers here, we can make up whatever we want, we (laughs) we can have opinions. Yes. Um, I think I would say one obvious thing people are complacent when they perceive others around them as being okay with the situation. Well. this this isn't always the case because there are people who are discontent while uh, they are they get upset that everyone else is okay with it but a lot of the times if you're you know if something happens well i'm i'm certain that you are are very familiar with this situation something happens you think it's weird you look around nobody else seems to think it's weird and now you're okay with it you ever had that happen no (laughs) no well okay i have had that happen only a few times and it's usually when i'm in a new environment um um, and, and concerning something that is within the realm of that environment to be possible like a good example being if i go to work for a new company and everybody leaves the office for lunch and i look around and no one's here and then everyone comes back and no one complained that the office was empty. That would be strange to me because I've never seen a workplace completely shut down for lunch, but that's within the realm of that. You know, I could see that being a possibility. I just never witnessed it. So I think it's strange, but because I, you know, look at local clues, it seems to be fine. Then it seems to be fine. And I stopped worrying about it so much, but that's kind of the only area you know it would have to be it's a combination of the two it's i'm only okay with everyone else being i'm only okay with something if everyone else is okay with something if the thing that i need to be okay with is within the realm of like sustainability and you know if the thing we're not we're being okay with is not going to negatively affect the environment from my perspective you know i still take a personal judgment on it um but there's there's room to negotiate on things that I would be okay with as far, and then things that someone else might not be okay with, especially if that other person has more authority over an area. Like if my boss is okay with it, then I care more about what he says to say than anyone else being okay with it. But yes, I have had some scenarios like that, but they are pretty rare. So, sure. I, I don't think that they are very common situations, but it's just something that came to mind. Um, I think another thing that might... Uh, cause complacency uh might be the a a feeling of impotence if somebody thinks that they can't change anything then they can cope with that by becoming complacent oh i definitely think that that's what my first thought was is that in you know certain areas of the world it's like oh i mean what can i do about it you know and it's well, it's both what can I do? I can't change anything, so whatever, it's fine. you know there's no sense in worrying about something in which i over which I have no control, and the other one is it's similar but different is um it kind of goes back to the first one, which is no one else is going to change it. Why should I put forth more effort for everyone else's benefit, and I'm not gonna receive any I'm not going to benefit from this, so why would I care? you know. Hmm. And I think you see that one a lot in I think you see that one a lot in workspaces as well. You know, if you see a problem like, oh, the printer's out of paper. Well, I don't need my prints right now. And no one's going to thank me oh for goodness, throwing more so paper. The in the infuriating This is even more infuriating than something that might get in the way of work when when ooh, when I walk into the break room and somebody has left me an empty pot of coffee. the seething rage (laughs) yep (laughs) um hmm it's like huh no one poured a new one for me so i'm not going to pour one for the next guy you know And, and sure there are problems with that as well but i mean i don't know i don't know i feel like there's there's plenty of reasons that people would be that way but as far as looking at cultural reasons i think when you really start to consider what it might be like to live under a communist regime where you are explicitly told that you you aren't special, <laughs> you know? You're the same as everyone else. Um I I would think it would be very easy to that that gives you this strange authority to be okay with things that everyone else that if if you're okay with it, it, it goes both ways. And that's one of the problems with communism is if we're all the same, that if I'm okay with something, everyone else has to be okay with something because we're all the same. And then also on the other foot, it's everyone else is okay with this, so I have to be okay with it. So I think w- looking at how kind of human social structures evolve, if you artificially constrain people's ability to negotiate on things, I mean, it, it, look at this, in I want to take it back to our work environment because I see this happen all the time when something goes down at work you know like say there's something unnatural that occurs like we're you know something different nobody thinks about work no one thinks too much about what they really would want it's what are we doing you know like what what is the protocol what are we going to do and no one focuses on their job but everyone's okay with no one focusing on their job because you're not focused either you know and um in and, and even further in different cases you know you see you look across the say you have a team of 10 people and originally you had set out to we're going to have a meeting every day at one o'clock to to go over this and whatever well one guy just doesn't show up to the meeting one day he forgets about it and it doesn't get doesn't get disciplined for it or anything like that it's just it's seen as fine well that's one person seeing it as I'm okay with not being there so everyone else should be okay with me not being there how quickly is it until no one shows up to that right, meeting the because the thing dissolves because exactly well if he doesn't have to be there then I don't have to be there and I have more important things to do than sit in this boring meeting for an hour yep. or whatever and i think that's the western version is my time is the most important time so if that person whose time is worth less than mine <laughs> doesn't have to be there well my time which is more important shouldn't have to be divested on that either so and that's an interesting thing about people as well as as watching standards just absolutely slip under any kind of authority you know or any kind of any kind of active effort to uphold a standard you know um it goes quick you know the, the whole give an inch take a mile kind of conversation uh yeah it's it's something else for sure um but i don't know i mean i personally with just the raw philosophy of something being good enough i'm okay with it to be honest with you i really am um you would be which is why i wanted to bring it up yeah um i don't know i i feel like i'm okay with it because i really care most about myself and don't be wrong there are this is a very obviously selfish thing to say but it's true you know if something's good enough for me then i'm not willing to put forth any more effort until otherwise stated or unless there's a pre-existing standard i i guess maybe i set standards too high for myself i think that's the thing is that i am a perfectionist and so anyone else who isn't is falling below my standard. Yeah, I I mean I understand. I I know people who are similar. And um yeah, I know I know of, of plenty of instances where that's the case. You know, I I've, I've seen people who for example, hold themselves to a stricter physical standard, right? So to them maintaining a certain level of physical fitness is important. So, anyone else who doesn't is lazy. Right. Now, that's a relative judgment. But, but, guilty as charged. <laughs> but there you go. And, and, and to be fair, like, it, that doesn't make your assessment wrong. I think that's right. the other thing is that in Western cultures, individual assessments are valid. You know, we, I have to be aware that you're not okay with, I have to be both aware and okay with you having an assessment that I disagree with. That kind of thing can't fly in any kind of, you know, groupthink regime, whether it be socialism, communism, whatever. You can't have that, you know, because when we're all the same, no one can override anyone else. No, right. no one Dis- can is not being the same. Yeah. Exactly. It just, it's not congruent at all with the philosophy. Um, but the other thing too, is how that plays into the, you know, human social structure is are you okay with others not meeting your standards or not you know how okay are you with someone else not meeting your standards you know what what can you do about it and in and don't be wrong the, each person always has tools to influence other people based on those standards you know i think a great one to look at is in relationships you know that's the one thing that gets talked about a lot is you would hope that you would find a partner that meets your standards right i think i think that's a pretty common thing i don't think anybody goes and says i don't care you know they don't have to meet my standards it's like okay you know (laughs) but um the reason we get choosy and have choices are to provide ourselves with that plethora of options of people who might meet our standards and additionally uh it's what encourages us to improve to meet other people's standards. So, for example, if you're out and and for men especially there's an interesting thing where it's <laughs> um I I've heard people say you need to lower or you need to have more realistic standards. That's what that's the way it's said, but what is being what what's actually being communicated is you need to lower your standards because yours are higher than what is realistically acceptable based on and this is another one where there's a hidden caveat here which is based on my experience you need to lower your standards no one says based on my experience but that's what's being implied because of how our languages is, is right so when it comes to if, if having a partner that meets your standards is very very important to you and is a priority then you would have to accept the consequences of what it would take for that so that might involve going without a partner for longer periods of time. And if you're okay with that, then you're okay with that. If you're not, then you might negotiate your own standards or as it's commonly put these days, what are your deal breakers? You know, like you need to prioritize your standards in the event of you beginning to adjust your standards. What things are you going to compromise on and what things are you not? You know, and that's something that I feel like a lot of couples don't have those kind of conversations, but they they do end up playing out, though. In very superfluous ways. This, this is very reminiscent of a, or not maybe reminiscent is not the word that I should use there. Um, of a uh, of the conversation we had before beginning this episode. This uh, this reminds me of of courts <laughs> because we have here, you know, obviously we we have you you cannot. Well, okay, I, I say that. It is a tall order to enter into a relationship and have everything worked out before initiating the relationship. So, you have situations in which you you didn't figure out, okay, where are you going to compromise on this issue? But then here's the issue, time to figure it out. Yeah. And uh what are you going to do when it doesn't work out, you know? Do you go back and negotiate the standard or do you patch it? You know. And uh it's always been my advice that you you always adjust and look at the standard itself because people do change like that's the thing i've heard it said that people don't change they'll always be the same and it's like well that's that depends on what you're talking about right it's a generalization it's a generalization like, and like any other generalization it's generally true but not always right well and and even then when you say people or that person you know if i were to say about a specific individual hey you yeah, know, that guy, Tom, by the way, we don't know anybody named Tom together. I don't think we, but anyway, it's a besides so point. Hypothetical person, Tom. I can't believe you would say this about Tom, but go ahead. <sighs> I mean, it's Tom, dude. <laughs> but if I look at Tom and say, man, that Tom, he just never changes. Okay. If I say that Tom, he just never changes. I'm probably not talking about all of the things that goes into what makes him a person. I'm probably talking you're about you're complaining something specific. about one specific thing that he just won't get over yet. Yeah, but we don't say it like that. We say in general that person just doesn't change. Whereas, in fact, most people, in fact, do change greatly over the course of their life, and irrefutably, in some ways, you know, most of your tissue is replaced <laughs> throughout your life. If we sure. want to get you are the ship of Theseus. Yeah. Yeah, but also, you know, as far as our behaviors, our behaviors are constantly changing, as long as our external environment is changing because we cannot continue to act the same way in different environments without consequences you know and not only that but we talk all the time about maturing you know like or getting older you know people do change throughout their lives and so if you step back and look at it for the what it really means you know A person changing—it's—it's not just the one thing that you complain about. And so when you look at your standards, I—I don't know of anybody who has the same set of standards that for both themselves or for others, since you know they have not had the same set of standards their entire lives unless they're very young. Um, A good example also being is if you hold yourself to a certain set of standards based on the knowledge you had at a certain time, if you have if you've reached those standards. If you never change your standards, you will become complacent and you will stagnate as a person. You know, like one thing that um, I've heard some people say, I grew up in a fairly poor area. I've heard some people say, man, if I could just make $35,000 a year, I'd be so happy. That's just all I want. But, but that's not enough for... But then they also talk about being old and being like, "Yeah, I can't wait to retire to my ranch." And I'm yeah. like, "Yeah, you can't afford. You're that. not going to do that on thirty-five thousand, right?" But but when you're a high school student who's working part time minimum wage, thirty-five thousand is a huge. Oh job. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I'll never forget the day I I signed up for my first salary paying job. That was a time for some very severe assessment on my standards of myself. It's like okay. You know, I've gotten to where I wanted to get previously, you know, mission accomplished. Now I need to to set a new mission, you know, and if you don't, you stagnate. And so the same thing occurs with us and how we view the standards of other people. you know, like, what do you look for in a partner? You know, well, it depends. What do you want out of that relationship? And that's going to change over your lifetime. You know, when you're young, it might be pretty, you know, uh, straightforward straightforward yeah it's like i'm here for one thing and two things only um (laughs) you know i think we all know what we're talking about here but when you look at okay i'm I'm gonna jump to a side anecdote old people that date are strange to me (laughs) and what i mean by that is like widows and widowers who are senior citizens like in excess of 65 years or older they still go out and seek partnership but their seeking partnership is for very different reasons than someone who might be 16 to 24 years old. Okay. Um, this just isn't, it is my, this is my carbon example of how your standards change. Um, uh, you know, at that point, you know, I've, I've had, I've known people who were that age that were trying to go out and meet somebody. And it's like, why, <laughs> Like, you know, what are you looking to get? And they're like, well, I mean, at my age, it's, More about the fact that most of the people that I knew growing up are dead. I don't know anyone anymore. You know, I literally do not, cannot relate to anybody because everyone, the vast majority of living people have not shared the same experiences that I have. They don't remember JFK. They don't remember this, that, the other. They don't know what it's like to have grown up during the GI Bill generation. You know, they don't know and i can't recreate that artificially right and so i'm looking for someone who's had those life experiences and i think that's also why you know there's no rule that you have to enter into a relationship with someone who's roughly your age but it tends to happen that way and i think a lot of the reason is for that it's shared experiences but when you're young that may not be the case you know so i don't know so what you define as being good enough, what you're, what standard you're setting for being good enough definitely changes with what goal you're trying to achieve at the time, you know. And, and this is kind of irrespective of any cultural differences. I would say that's pretty universal, but uh, how much that contributes to something being good enough or not I think is different, but I do think it's a factor universally in my opinion i don't know like i'm i'm of the opinion that this podcast is good enough uh even though it's not quite to an hour yet i don't know about you but uh i i'm i'm feeling the same okay well in that case thank you for dealing with this i hope it was good enough philosophers shibuto shibuto <laughs>